Industry Insights from Fiera Real Estate. Welcome to Industry Insights, a brand new series of podcasts from Fiera Real Estate, a leading investment management firm with over $6 billion worth of assets in Europe and North America. We are the global real estate arm of Fiera Capital Corporation, a leading multi-product investment management firm with more than $124 billion worth of assets under management. We've created a new series of podcasts which focuses on the key themes in the current real estate investment market. In each episode, we'll be joined by guest industry speakers who are experts in their area. Today, we're focusing on the changing trends in office space, where we'll be discussing the increased demand for flexible workspace, creating physical space to meet demands, and monetizing on this additional investment. The time to introduce our panel of experts. Steve Wright is a director at Fiera Real Estate. He joined the company in 2006. Steve is on the senior management team and oversees assets within the value-add risk profile business plans, including land promotion, planning and development. Hello there. Good afternoon. Gavin Bridge is a director at Cubex a residential, commercial and mixed-use property developer working across the South, Southwest and South Wales. And he's recently been named the Southwest's most influential figure in property for 2019. Congratulations, Gavin. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to be here. John Vaughan is co-founder of the Instant Group. John developed its managed offering through his work with client and landlord partners and recently established Instant's co-lease business. Hi there, John. Hi, good to be here. And Rupert Dean is co-founder and CEO of X&Y, which works with landlords to design, manage and operate flexible workspaces and build communities of more responsible businesses. Hi there, Rupert. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks to everyone for joining us today. Rupert, could I start with you? Demand for flexible workspace has become a lot more prevalent whether the physical accommodation itself or the contractual arrangements by which an occupier takes this space. Why do you think that is? Well, I think if you're looking for new office space, you are faced with two choices and they're pretty stark. One is a conventional lease where you're entering into a long-term commitment with a whopping great big deposit or parent company guarantee. You're having to then design your own space pay for the capex on that, as well as all the operational costs and organisation around the facilities management and asset management. That's quite a daunting and long-term prospect. The alternative now is much more flexible. So you can now instantly turn up and enter into well-designed, well-apportioned space with immediate connectivity and data. And you only require to take the space that you actually need rather than the space that you feel you're going to grow into over time. So you're only paying for what you need to take today. So from a flexibility perspective, it's much better. Potentially from a cost perspective, it's better because you have a very clear one-off price without the cost of all the capital expenditure. You have well-designed space and you now have a space for your employees that they're going to be satisfied in. So and this is becoming the big thing now is the requirement to satisfy your employees and what they're looking for. So no longer is it about the trappings of opulent space with a place where you can eat and a place where you can probably stay and sleep the night. It's now about actually well-designed space where people can go be productive, meet other people and feel like they can enjoy themselves and be themselves. 
then on top of that, you've got the changing workforce. So I think you've got the increase of freelancers that are coming through. So people who actually are only contracted to work on certain projects, that's increasing. So the requirement for larger long-term employment forces reducing. You've then got the role of technology, which allows for people to remote work more so they can work from home more. So you are therefore not requiring as much space as you need. You mentioned remote working. Gavin, connectivity is extremely important, isn't it? It is. And we're seeing buildings becoming far more intelligent, office buildings particularly, than they have been historically. And if we were to compare a building we're developing today with a building we developed 10 years ago, they are quite different. And a journey that we've been on is trying to make our office buildings smarter. So we've now engaged with a smart buildings consultant to make our office buildings a lot more intelligent. So they're a lot more interactive with occupiers. We talk about the phrase that we've adopted is the sort of building as a butler, where the occupier has far more interaction with the building. So the building will sense when you arrive in the morning. And rather than having passes, it'll work from an app off your phone. So that will bring the lifts down to your floor, take up the office space. Um, the lighting and the heating will then react to suit your particular requirements. Also, if you're inviting guests um, to your office building, they will be automatically invited. Parking spaces for cycle parking or cars will be allocated and so on and so forth. And it's really making the building a lot more interactive. And people often have more technology in their homes than they have in their office buildings now. And we're seeing that trend. Another trend, as well as smart buildings, we're seeing is a lot more recognition of the benefits of wellness and well-being and how healthy office buildings are. And there's a phrase that we'll start to see more of, a biophilia, where it's connecting offices with the natural environment as well. And we've only seen that trend continuing. I think as a lot more occupiers are aware of these sort of topics. And John, in your business, there needs to be a certain amount of flexibility, doesn't there? People need to adapt to growth Gavin mentioned wellness as well. There are many different factors that you have to actually take into account, aren't there? There are. And on your point about flexibility, I think that's one of the driving forces behind the whole flexible workspace movement that we're seeing today. It's no surprise that the UK is the world's largest flexible workspace country because of the polarity that exists between the traditional leased model that we've seen for hundreds of years here and the onset of the flexible workspace providers who are looking at this, looking at how businesses evolve and change their workforce and looking at their needs for having workforces in different places rather than all under one roof in a headquarters building. That is what has driven the workspace evolution, the flexible workspace evolution that we're seeing today. There's still a fair amount of inflexibility, though, in the traditional leased models. Would you agree there's more work to do, Steve? What sort of proportion are we talking about? Gavin mentioned this 21st century environment that a lot of spaces have adapted to. How far away are we from, you know, more than, say, half of business spaces getting to that point? Yeah, I think even in the last three to five years, there's been a massive change in the industry over that period. And I think a lot of occupiers, they're starting to change their model now. So rather than having fixed leases for 25 years on a certain building, and they, if they have surplus space within that building, they'll just have an empty floor. There's more now of a model where they may have a, a mixed tenure of space that they've taken. So they may have a core estate, which is the 20-year lease, but they may have short-term leases as well elsewhere, or even their flexible space they can up and flow into. And so there's, I think the way that occupiers are actually taking their space is changing, but also the space they're offering is changing as well. And it's been picked up already on some of the comments, but 10 years ago, 
you would have to go to your office to work, to meet all your colleagues, to actually work as well. And actually, whether you're sending letters or emails or such like, whereas now you can pretty much work wherever you want to work. And so the office environment itself is needing to appeal. And whether that's for the corporates taking on staff and employees and attracting them to work for their business, or whether it's even just attracting them to come into work in the morning, because the office environment now, it's changing. It's going to be a more informal arrangement, maybe more breakout areas, more flexible space within that space. But effectively, the office has to encourage the employees to make the journey in from their homes to come to work. Because if they have that flexible arrangement where they can work from home, then why bother spending that time commuting? Yeah, I think in addition to that, Steve, I think we're seeing a trend where, particularly in the professional services sector, where a partner or a director of that firm might not necessarily be based in one office, but they're working around two or three offices. They need to be flexible when they get into Mm. that work environment, don't they? Yeah. So on the one hand, yes, uh, remote working has really taken off for the last you know, three to five years, as you mentioned, maybe maybe 10 years. But we need to remember that the workplace is a face-to-face environment. Yeah, I mean, my, my business is based in Bristol, and there are a lot of tech and media companies uh, based in Bristol. And just to reinforce the point you've made there about future-proofing one's business growth, it's very difficult for a tech firm who might be five this year, who could be 50 next year, and then 300 the year after. And some have seen businesses that have grown exponentially like that and then to commit to you know 3,000 square feet on at least for 10 years is just bonkers to them really so they need that flexibility built into their business plan and let's put some perspective around this the flexible office sector or the co-working as a lot of people like to coin the phrase and have in recent years has evolved at such speed that what we were seeing as uh, the one or two people start up businesses um, five years ago ten years ago it is now totally mainstream for people to be taking serviced offices, co-working, managed offices, or any hybrid of, of those two. We at the Instant Group represent all requirements from the one-man startup right through to the large multinational corporates who are looking at this not just from a flexibility point of view, but from a, a solution which allows them to buy something which is fully wrapped as a service. They don't have to go down all the same routes as they previously did through procurement and management. And it provides them with huge amounts of choice and choice of location, but choices of product. And that is where we're seeing this going. But I think it's often acknowledged as a small part of the market, which only is appealing to the startup business. That really is very, very different. It's almost the recognition now that for occupiers that the office that and obviously we're talking about offices today but it'd be any asset class but the office is just the the fabric for which they run their business from and they don't want to waste a huge amount of time dealing with the procurement of that or worrying about locking into a long-term lease or ultimately not taking a long-term lease they just want to concentrate on doing their day job and they're happy yeah. to pay a premium if that's what it means because ultimately they need the best products to drive their business. You mentioned buildings need to adapt. Uh, Gavin can ask you how do buildings need to adapt and how are they going to cater for all these various demands that you've been talking about? Enlightened developers and enlightened funders hopefully. One of the trends that we've seen in more recent years is the way that offices are being occupied more intensively than they have in the past. So that the British Council for Offices that does some research in this area have suggested that occupancy levels are between one person per eight square metres and one person per 12. We are designing at the lower end, so one per eight, and we're seeing a lot of offices occupied at one per six, which means that people are making their floor space uh, using it a lot more intensely than they have historically. Is that because of demand or because 
the landlords are squeezing as much value out of their buildings. No, I think it's about occupiers focusing on this. And I think that we've seen where businesses have expanded in headcount and moved to new offices, but have actually taken less floor space than they did in their old offices. So maybe they're trading up, getting a better location. And we're also seeing the use of technology now. So one of the things we'll be putting into our buildings is the ability to plot heat maps of how the floor space with offices are used so that an occupier can see whether the meeting room in the corner is not being used very much, then they can then replan the space, maybe put more desks in there, or certain areas of the building are used a lot more intensively. Why is that? So then a lot more knowledge and a lot data collection about yeah. how they use their workspace. And that's the um, the point, Gavin, on the mm. BCO sort of guide, mm. of the, whether it's 1 to 8 square metres or 1 to 12. It may be that as a landlord and a developer, you have to design your buildings to deal with that density in those locations. And I say in those locations, it may actually be on part of the floor because it may be that occupiers to say, well, we're going to use, we're going to have a, a quarter of the space can be really densely occupied. And actually, we may drop down to one to six, but that will be whether it's cool century type densities or, or not. But then other parts, we can have nice breakout areas and we're going to have more collaborative. So when you're using that space, it's not necessarily all of it's going to be really highly densely used, but it's making sure the buildings are flexible enough that an occupier can choose which space they want to use. Density is a really good point to touch on for a minute because what's changed dramatically is that operators, serviced office operators, are understanding the the importance of amenity spaces. Spaces like meeting rooms, bookable meeting rooms, or overflow spaces or quiet pods to work in. That allows the occupier to occupy their space in a much more dense and therefore cost-effective position rather than having to build all of those meeting rooms and, and breakout areas within their own spaces. Now, that's happening in the serviced office sector. What is interesting is its slower evolution into the more traditional leased sector where landlords are leasing their space and have traditionally on a floor-by-floor basis and allowed the customer or the tenant to do it all themselves. So that's that's a big change that's emerging. Rupert. Yep, that's exactly right. I think if you look back at the evolution from the 80s to the 90s, where you consider people and executives had large mahogany desks and co-working or open plan working was actually pretty rare. And um, all the way down to this is a, a tiny bit geeky, I suppose, but all the way down from, you know, you probably had 1800 by 800 mil desks. And now you're down to if it's WeWork 1000 by 500, all open plan. And I think technology plays a big part as well, because you don't need the storage. It's paper-free more than anything else or more these days as a result of technology, but also as a result of people's consideration, I suppose, for the planet. But you also don't need a, a server room anymore, for example. So the amount of efficiency of space you get, whether it's the size of your desk, the open plan nature of your workforce, or the space that you're saving yourself through technology or being paper-free, it's, it's just completely changing and has changed and has been a big force. Steve, if I could turn to you, how should landlords and developers monetize this additional investment? We've had experience this firsthand with the Aurora project, which Cubex um, developed for us down in, in Bristol recently, where back in the day, you would have your, as a funder, you'd have your development appraisal, you'd look at what rents you think you'll achieve, what yield you think you'll achieve, and then you'll have your bill costs. And your bill costs, ultimately, you'd be focused on those to get them as low as possible, because ultimately, the difference between your capitalised rent and yield and your cost is going to be the profit. And I'm afraid to say that's generally what the funds... <laughs> Uh, want to achieve at the end of the day. But I think there's a difference now between looking at the bill cost and calling it costs. I think we very much say now that bill cost is actually investment and actually we've proactively chosen to invest more in our buildings to deliver a better product. 
the difficulty we have, which is very much the point of the question, is, well, why do this? Where's the benefit on investing more in your buildings? And that's the area, as I mentioned with Aurora, that we, we try to, to look at a bit more by focusing for the Occupy on exactly what does it mean, whether it's our investment in the wellness that the building gives to the the employees and the, the stakeholders within the building, whether it's sort of the green credentials of the building itself. But ultimately, for an occupier, it's all about the productivity and the efficiency of their space. And it goes back to the comments in the previous question where if you design the space so it's very flexible, you integrate into it some smart technology. So wayfinding through the building is superior, so you don't need as many people manning the reception, for instance, or it may be that you can make sure that you're monitoring how the building's being run, so you can proactively maintain the lifts, for instance, rather than waiting for a lift to go out of action, having to have an emergency call-out. But eventually you can look through it and say, actually, for an occupier, they should be able to afford to pay a higher rent, and ultimately the rent and yield is what it comes down to, because fundamentally their overall occupational costs and their productivity benefit for the people that are using that space is far superior. And so, although the rent is higher, but actually the overall occupation costs probably aren't as high, and actually the benefit to both recruiting employees and also those employees while they're there is superior. And the other thing which is worth mentioning more, John, in your area about why should landlords look at having a serviced office operator in their space? I think as an industry, we do need to look at more of the RACS guidance on, on this point because a lot of landlords are actually saying we don't want to have a single tenant in a 20-year lease in this building because they know that from the start, the value is probably going to be going in a downward direction uh, or things being equal because the lease length is eroding. So actually, having a service office operator who's got a highly diversified underlying income stream from occupiers, which is inflation hedged because you're renewing leases as you go, is actually highly attractive. But as an industry, we need to really get our heads around the guidance on the valuation aspects of that. John? To add to that, um, how do landlords or developers monetize that additional investment? For me, it's very simple. They need to embrace what the serviced office operators now have been doing for many, many years, which is actually to reposition those property assets in a different way and to provide them with services, with fit-out, with all of the design criteria that we've just been talking about that actually make them more appealing to the demand that we as a business, as an aggregator, are seeing. That demand is ever increasing. It's no surprise that the serviced office operators were made up 30% of all take-up in the UK last year. But it's still a very small proportion of the UK's real estate property assets. 6% in London is flexible and 7% across the UK of all office um, properties. That's still a drop in the ocean. So for me, there is a huge opportunity for landlords to embrace, but they need to change their models. And there are complications that come around that, such as the valuation that you've talked about. And I would just point out it's an insight paper by the RICS um, rather than a guidance because they don't want to be seen as guiding anyone at the moment because they can't but it is definitely shedding, casting light on this need to evaluate the services element of property valuations in a different way. And Rupert, you work with landlords to design and manage and operate flexible workspaces. Uh, what about design? Where are we at the moment with the quality of design? Well, I always say that I think, I don't think there's much more that designers could actually do by, you know, making a building out of reused flip-flops. I mean, it seems to me that there's always something. 
I think now it's got to the point of the green credentials are now increasing. So the well certification, the BRIAM certification, these are uh, the, the redevelopment rather than the building up of, of buildings. So I think these are becoming increasingly important from a landlord's perspective, possibly from a valuation perspective, but increasingly from a, a tenant perspective. So I think certainly with the choice that people get now, all things being equal, certainly with the next generation of management that we see at X and Y, people are much more interested in the the green nature of those buildings and the utilities and the outputs that it's produced. Design-wise, it's changed probably the most significantly in terms of where people go at certain points. There's a central co-working space where people can go. There's quiet areas, there's library areas, there's a range of meeting rooms. The technology in terms of, you know, the VoIP, uh, the data, it's all kind of changed. And it's all according to, as John said earlier, some of the feedback that people get. So that's the customer. Gavin, what about the way that a workspace is marketed? Where are we at the moment? Well, it's interesting because through this podcast, we've been talking about members and we've been talking about customers and we haven't really talked about tenants. And I think that's an old expression. And I think that for me, what flexible working and flexible space providers have really done is really put a focus on the customer journey, to use that phrase again. And that's where we've really focused on. So the headlines for us in our corporate office space that we develop out, we always want to achieve the highest sustainability credentials we can. So BRIAM outstanding. And we go for a wide score, which talks about digital connectivity in buildings and is a benchmark how occupiers can assess our buildings against our competitors. And we use something called Cycle Score, which is the facilities for cyclists coming to the office space as well. And wellness is, is what we've now taken up as a standard as well, talk about health and well-being in offices. And those are really helpful benchmarks that, that we invest in and the sort of healthy discussion between a developer and a fund and about investing in that. And we have seen over the years the returns in that. Those standards are really appealing to occupiers and actually appealing to underlying investors as well. And we only see that trend continuing. I think the big message coming down the road, though, is about zero carbon. And we'll be interested to see how that affects the sort of BRIAM ratings. John? So on marketing, um, I think there's a, if you are marketing your product, and this goes for the landlords as much as it does the operators of service space, there's a huge shift in the market changing. We have been previously used to the traditional agents marketing space on behalf of landlords on a basis which paid them a fee, whatever, whoever, come what may, uh, whoever they found or whoever the landlord found. It is now the realm of the brokers who are investing huge amounts of money in digital lead generation. What that really means is they're finding customers who are searching for office space in a different way, who are typing search terms into Google to look for an office in Bristol for 50 desks. And that is not the way that the traditional agents have been previously finding their requirements. So we are seeing a whole groundswell of change, both amongst the agents and amongst the brokers. And there's going to be a lot of development in that. And it will be a race to who is top of the Google search terms and that will manifest itself in in more and more competition among the agents and the brokers. Yeah, we've seen interest in workspace that we're creating by way of LinkedIn, Instagram and even Twitter. If you've got a particularly attractive workspace, you can put some images out onto Twitter and you'll get interest from that. And the sort of business that look at that space will gravitate towards it through the search terms, as you say. So we see more investment into search engine optimization, I think, as well as a continuing trend. And how do you prove additional productivity? What is the measure of that? 
You can look at staff turnover or employee turnover, sort of the sick days out of work, um, sort of lateness coming in, which goes back to the smart building. We've looked at technology, which will ultimately, when you, you wake up in the morning, it will tell you if your train's not working and the journey into work, if the air quality is poor, it will tell you actually you should come in to work slightly different hours. And so I think finance directors will get a lot more involved on productivity and measuring ultimately the staff turnover and the additional cost to the business because ultimately for all these businesses staff turnover will be a huge cost to them. But I think as a as an operator you have to set a benchmark and measurement system where you're going to use it and I don't think you can just say without any sort of data on it that it's more productive. And I think you're right. I think it's actually becoming more accepted, even without a measurable benchmark, that it is becoming more productive space. And I think for FDs and CFOs, that's becoming really important. But if you have to make sure that you're talking to your members and understanding what your key criteria, whether it is absenteeism, sick days, or increased workforce, bottom line growth, whatever it happens to be. So overall, the use of data is absolutely crucial, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, massive. The use of data also becomes crucial for the new occupants in to this market, and and I'm looking, you know, I'm looking, Steve, for the the the, the landlords here, um, who have previously gone out to the market and sought data from the more traditional leasing agents, who have many, many, many years and decades of that. It's now switching around to the data that's being provided by the flexible office sector, and you know, we as a business provide a lot of those data reports in order to inform new landlords who are looking to enter this market or operators um, on the supply, the demand, the availability, the pricing, how long it takes to fill a centre. And increasingly, we're now beginning to look at real-time data feedback from the operators themselves, which will help speed up both the information that landlords are looking for, but also how the operators market their space in a more productized and more efficient way. One very specific example about using data and productivity is that we're looking to install CO2 detectors in our office floor plates. There's lots of studies about when CO2 levels rise, people's productivities drop. So by the building sensing that certain parts of the building were higher CO2 levels, it can then change the internal environment within an office building and make people more productive because they're not going to be falling asleep as the CO2 levels rise, so change the CO2 levels. And I think that's real tangible evidence and data that you can show occupiers. John, this is a, a crowded market. How do operators differentiate themselves? Well, um, I think the operators need to understand, and I'm going to bring landlords into that as well, traditional landlords who are moving into this market. I think they need to understand their customer. Service office operators have understood their customer and are doing a very, very good job about that. There are different brands. There are different offerings. There are different designs and styles. But ultimately, what we're seeing is a expansion of the profile of companies taking these spaces and so there will be companies looking for co-working space there'll be companies looking for more fixed serviced office environments and indeed uh, more corporate individualized bespoke managed office solutions and so i think what there needs to be a recognition is this is a ever-evolving market where a variety of different products are going to be competing And so you need to pick your product offering and you need to understand your market um, and you need to go after that. I agree with that, John. I also think it's a question quite often of convenience versus destination. So some people look at it and they go, I want to be on Grape Street 
in Soho or I want to be in such and such. And you look for the nearest co-working space or flexible workspace. And you will have a range of choice because there are so many which we've touched on earlier. The other is destination. So I'm a brand and I want to go to a certain place where there's a community of like-minded businesses. That's an alternative. Or I have a budget and so I'm starting to restrict myself in terms of convenience versus destination. X and Y, for example, we're building communities of what we call responsible businesses. So those businesses that look at people and planet as well as profit. And they like to be around like-minded businesses and you know we try and make sure that as a result of being around like-minded businesses they can create greater impact and profit so that's where people go whether you're from the far west to come east if you want to be around like-minded businesses just to ask another follow-on question to that almost i mean it may be john Moore for you but you mentioned about the landlords and that they're now creating their own sort of like flexible arrangements and um, service office offer what risks do you think I suppose, risk for yourselves and for what you do at instant offices. But do you think the landlords are going to um, offer a competition to you? Or do you think, picking up Rupert's point, that actually if people are looking either for geographic location or the brand, landlords just sprinkling their offer throughout the UK is not going to have that much of an impact? At instant, we are looking to provide as much choice to the customer as we possibly can. And that means covering every single flexible office option that's out there. And so far, we cover or we list over 13,000 business centers around the world. I would like to see landlords emerging on our websites in the same way that WeWork or IWG or the office group are on those and offering their variety of flexible workspace solutions. So I don't see it as competition. I see it as, as a greater choice for those customers that are looking for flexible workspace. I think what we do agree on for sure is that conventional landlords can't just think about carving up floors and hoping that they can give the keys to the tenant and not see them for another 10 years. I think if you're creating a new product now, you have to be thinking about the level of flexibility that you provide because the conventional lease, albeit as John says, the co-working sector is only accounts for about 7 or 8% of the total commercial space within the UK that has changed significantly even over the last three years and it's only going to continue to grow. I think we all agree that. So the attack on the conventional leases is clear and so landlords have to think about it. And to add to that, Steve, I've often said that one of the only reasons why Instant has a managed office solution is because the operators are not providing those much larger chunks of office space, 200, 300, 400 people at a time, to in a serviced office environment because of their risk profile. So we've been doing that successfully. But as you know, we're also looking at teaming up with landlords to also provide choice where to customers, to the traditional tenant base, where where um, the landlord now wants to be involved in this process and have that direct relationship. So I and think it's a fast emerging market which we can all benefit from. And that's definitely something which we're looking to do at Fio uh, Real Estate and uh, new development with, with Cubex. It's do, do we put the wrapper around the building and because there'll be communal areas within that building, so like the, the showers in the basement, for instance, and those are more uh, like um, gym level showers and changing facilities. So do we put the wrapper around the building and we're offering those facilities and more of a concierge feel to the management regime? And then we can almost bolt on a floor to a flexible space if we want to bring in an operator to manage that on our behalf or maybe we have some space which is conventionally leased. And it's it's a lot more of a 
a hands-on um, relationship that we have with our buildings now, which is only a, a trend which we think will follow and grow and grow. We're going to have to wind it up in a moment or two, but I've got one last question for you all, and I'll turn to Gavin, first of all. Landlords. Uh, do landlords think that flexible working is actually a bit of a fad? Well, I think the expression is change or die, isn't it? So I think the enlightened landlords do. And just to sort of add an, a further element to the previous point made, I think another component of this will be working with technology companies, with flexible office providers and with enlightened landlords uh, in their offices. Um, I, I think for me to summarise, really, I think today's occupiers are far more nimble than they used to be. And I think they're demanding choice and flexibility. The landlord that can respond to that are the ones that are going to reap the rewards. Rupert? It's not a fad, but then I'm biased. So <laughs> I think it's here to stay. I think it's only going to continue to grow for the reasons we've outlined. I think the choice is stark between doing absolutely everything yourself at potentially a higher cost or outsourcing at potentially a lower cost to get a better product. I think it's a, a trend which is going to continue and I think also people's behaviour is changing and they're more discerning in their choice and they want to be in what they want to be in and they're happy to pay a premium if that's what they want. And I think that's why both the flexibility in its use but also the quality of the space and paying a, maybe a rental premium but overall probably no premium as we've discussed is what companies will be looking to do. Final word to you, John. Well, with over 30% year-on-year growth over the last two years in demand for flexible office space, uh, I would say that the fad has long, long passed us, and I back this to be the next change in the office market. Very interesting discussion. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to find out more about Fiera Real Estate and what we do, you can visit our website at fierarealestate.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Join us next time. Goodbye. Industry Insights from Fiera Real Estate. Subscribe on your favourite podcast platform.